I'm Neil Gauger. Jade Turner Bond. Shannon Egan. Aaron Bryan. And this is To Live and Law in LA. So, who are you folks? I'm Jade. I am originally from Northern California. I actually moved down to LA a couple years ago. Uh, my practice primarily includes local and city government. Um, I also work for do work state level work, um, mainly selling bonds. So um, it's really funding infrastructure projects, cities, roads, um, stadiums. Um, I'm Shannon Egan. As I said, I'm a first-year associate here at Nixon. I just um, moved here from Michigan about a year ago and have been at the firm for about 11 and a half months, so almost at a year. An old-timer, an old-timer here. Yeah, Yeah. seasoned vet. And uh, I work with Jade. I'm a transactional attorney as well. She's very lucky. Oh, yeah, the luckiest. (laughs) Lucky because you're a first-year or because you work with Jade? Right, good question. Answer this right, Shannon. I will answer that once Jade leaves the room. Fair enough. My name's Aaron Bryan. I'm a litigator. I've been here for three and a half years. I grew up in the metropolis of Medford, Oregon, and bounced around from city to city, landed here about four years ago. Um, My background's general commercial litigation, all shapes and sizes. Um, My practice in now focuses more on intellectual property matters. That's me. And I'm Neil. I am originally from Philly, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was lured out here with the promise of uh, avocados and sunshine. (laughs) Didn't leave. Um, I've I've done a little bit of toaster law, as they say, whatever pops up, Um, but primarily litigation and uh, these days primarily in the government investigations, white collar, criminal defense space. Have you ever done a case involving a toaster? No, but I mean, I don't know. I, I think that that there must be a, people a probably, classic product yeah. li- product liability case with like, that, right? Remember Lego My Ego? Yeah. Like, I bet people have gotten electrocuted or how at least burned their fingers. Yeah. Yeah. How many yeah. people have jammed a fork into a toaster? I'm not, not that I have. But, like, <laughs> you know, you, the, the toast starts slipping down and you're going, yeah. oh, I'm going to... Yeah. I think we learned about those type of cases in law school, right? Where I oh, think yeah. it was a product liability yeah. case. Yeah. <laughs> well, the famous one is the one... With the that says don't swallow Vaseline, right? Because there's someone who died because they had right. coded, oh, wow. coded something, and they yeah. Yeah, if there's a I, warning. I wanted to know about toasters, not swallowing Vaseline. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if, if there's a product, there is a product liability case right. for right. it. That's well, all I'm suggesting. And if there's a warning, someone did it. That's the thing that always dumbfounds right. me when you oh, see yeah. it. That's someone great, did that. <laughs> Do you think it's just one, or do you need like five people to get a warning on a product? It's it's the amount of the lawsuit. How much do they really have? You you would hope at this point that there's some forward-thinking lawyer who's like, you know what? Let's put the warning label before we get sued. <laughs> but it doesn't say that's that you, way. Neil. So that, that's but you. How would you know not to swallow Vaseline? Like, why would you? You wouldn't even think common sense. I mean, yeah, but- I, I think I think you have to hold your product in your hand and think, what would a complete moron do with this? Right. Ooh, and- slander. Yeah, well, not not specific. Easy, easy. No, I, I'm not slandering anyone in particular. A complete moron. I, not a partial moron. I'm not. I'm not. I'm a late night moron. I'm not but. slandering anyone in particular. I'm just saying that there are people who will do things with stuff. That's all. I'm yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, so why does a law firm need a podcast, folks? Well, you know, I. What I think is interesting, and why I look listen to podcasts, is really to help me. Um, 
make my life kind of easier to understand what's going on in a particular area, right? And to somehow gain some information that I can hopefully use in my life. So I think really who, when I host these podcasts, I'm hoping to kind of target people that are either in the legal profession or thinking about entering to the legal, legal profession or just interested in things that are legally related to the law. And I'm hoping that we get them kind of an insight look into how how it works and um, the personalities that are in the legal profession, right? And then, and if they're in it, how to be successful in it because it's not the easiest game in the world. And I think there are some tricks of the trade that we can disclose that might help people survive big law. I think, yeah, I think it's education. It's partly for selfish reasons, education for me, um, learning more about the people I work with here in this office and other offices in our firm learning about what their clients are up to, what's worked for them as a lawyer, what's worked for them as business areas. I mean, it's amazing how much you can transfer from one field to another within the law, outside of the law. So that's kind of my my reasoning behind this is learning more about what we do, what services we provide, what what the public needs from us, what clients need from us, and then also educating our listeners. You know, what's going on at a big law firm? What are what are the things that are happening in the, the Los Angeles legal market, business market? We have clients across the spectrum of what happens in Los Angeles. Entertainment, mm-hmm. media, fashion, public finance, That's buildings, right. construction, real estate. It, it's I'm sure there's more, five yeah. more maybe, 20, 100. But just learning more about and sharing that with, with um, people that listen to this. Right. And, and the fact that all those industries you just talked about, people don't necessarily think of, oh, there's a lawyer involved in that, right? Right. There's a lot of just day-to-day where I, I think people don't, the, the lawyer is invisible, right? The lawyer makes that transaction happen. The lawyer, uh, you know, represents that client who swallowed the Vaseline so that they had to put the safety <laughs> label on, right? Uh, and so I think that educating people about how lawyers help shape the world they live in uh, is going to be especially useful. But I'm also, I also hope that we can show some of the flaws in the practice of law and some of the thought process because there's this idea, I think there's this... Uh, conception of lawyers that are you know they're sitting in the conference room facing down opposing counsel they're standing and delivering in the courtroom it's very polished it's very self-assured and as we all know there is a lot of you know sleepless nights of wondering well what is going to be that strategic move how am i going to get there all the other paths you explore before you find the one that works for you and so I'm hoping that we can also help people understand how does a lawyer think. That's right. right? And, and as our practice group leader, Rick Jones, said to us, he said that, you know, our job is really to make it look easy. Mm-hmm. You know, the finished product should be so polished and it looks easy. It's like, oh, OK. And I think most people think it's easy and that maybe they don't know the amount of hours that go behind getting it to look like that look easy. Right. right. Only the clients know the hours because they get the bill. Right, right. (laughs) But maybe I could keep my descriptions of why it took me, you know, 3.9 hours a little bit shorter if they listen to the podcast, right? They'd say, oh, I I understand that. Listen to episode 20. You'll get it. (laughs) Right. I think it's an interesting point, you know, that that lawyers are involved in so many ways that people don't know about. I don't even know about. And I've been doing this almost 20 years. But to realize every role they play uh, in a business life and in a in a deal happening or not happening and new right. legislation getting passed and in um it, it is fascinating to learn more about what our brethren and what's the word for sisters? Is it sisters? Is, is brethren? Is <laughs> it's not a word. It is now. <laughs> our, our 
folks, our co-folks uh, in this field, um, what their hands are in and, and how they assist, how they, you know, in litigation, it's a different system. So it's adversarial. Right. So you have two sides fighting against each other and you hope you land somewhere near justice. I mean, that's kind of the idea. It's the broad idea of our judicial system. Um and in deals, I mean, you got Shannon right. and, and Jay can talk more about this, but it's not necessarily a, a adversarial situation, at least not from and, beginning to end. Right. It's, and it really shouldn't be. Right. I mean, um, yeah, if you're doing it right, it's not. if you're doing it right, it, it really shouldn't be adversarial. But lawyers will find a way. I mean, we find a way to just be difficult. I mean, at least for transactional work, uh, everyone gets paid when the deal closes. Right. right. So we're, mm-hmm. there's a big incentive to make sure that we're working together in a collaborative environment and getting it done but um it, it's not all peaches right i mean we still get we have some aggressive interactions right shannon yeah definitely i think opposing count like working with your opposing counsel is it can be tough because in this context you both want the deal to close and you want the same objective but if the other side is unwilling to give something that you think your client really needs to be protected going forward because our hope is that they never end up in a litigation context like you guys work in so if and we our do hope our, is that they do right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. so making sure they're protected is hard and making sure you're being cooperative and collaborative while still protecting your client I think that's the balance because you can't be too agreeable you know then that's how your client gets pushed over and you're their advocate at the end of the day right. but you can't be too disagreeable right? right because the perception with the client is kind of like oh they're making this deal harder mm-hmm. i'm just trying to get this money to build this housing project or build this road and you know you guys are being over there being lawyers right yeah. and as and as and as a, a litigator you you can't be too antagonistic right, right. you have to be often holding up your uh, client's position advocating very vigorously for it but you know the vast vast majority of cases uh, are going to settle right before they go to trial so which means at some point you and that opposing counsel are, are going to have to come to some sort of cooperation on some point and even if you do go to trial you're going to have to cooperate on and at least in some ways collaborate on jury mm-hmm. instructions on uh, how certain evidence is going to be presented right so there, there, you you can't just get the knives out and, and say all right we're just going to go to war on this you can you can use those tactics but there needs to be a core of professionalism and civility there that's right and oh, i oh, sorry. sorry go ahead shannon so in your guys's context i've always wondered this in a litigation context how frequently are you interacting with the same opposing counsel or the same judges because mm-hmm. for us it's a lot of repeat players that's right it depends it, it really depends i would say um you know you, you get these places like us, other big law firms that are kind of general houses. And mm-hmm. I think there you'll more likely pull in different people, right? Because even if you're litigating against the same firm, you're going to maybe get different people from the same office or people fly in from other offices, whatever else. Um, but there are certainly in some fields of litigation, you will run into the same people over and over and over again. Uh, in some IP areas, there are people who just specialize in one kind of IP, especially plaintiff's lawyers, and you're going to face them down time and time again. Uh, I can remember I had a case back at a former firm um, dealing with Liz Pendens, which is a special kind of um, essentially real estate restriction. And there was this law firm that we went up against, and it maybe was three or four people in the entire firm, but all they did every day was Liz Pendens. And they knew that <laughs> forward and backward. God, if, you were gonna, if you were going to be plaintiff's counsel, yeah. if, if you were going to be a plaintiff on a Liz Pendens issue, you were going to hire these folks. And so you, keep, you would see them again and again and again. 
Yeah, I think it depends on what area you're in. It depends on where you work. Uh, I grew up in a smaller town where all the lawyers kind of know each other, so they're going up against each other, even if it's different kinds of cases, because there's only so many of them. In Los Angeles, you really have to be in a special field to keep running into the same lawyer. Uh, If you're more of a generalist, if you're just kind of handling what comes to the door, it's, I don't know how many thousands of lawyers are in Mm -hmm. Los Angeles you're going to run into all sorts of different ones. And for judges, there's so many judges in Los Angeles. You, you, in federal court, you might get a little more consistency mm-hmm. because there's fewer. But in state court, mm, you can, again, unless crap it's shoot. like a complex matter, so it's sort of going to the same few judges. It's, I don't know, 100, 200, 300 judges in Los Angeles yeah. County. So yeah. it's, oh, wow. and, and actually, speaking about practicing in a small town, one of the, I think, neat things, it's not neat, it's actually very frustrating. But one thing that does happen <laughs> in litigation is being hometown. Do you know what that is? No. no. So being, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm tooting my horn. So yeah, well, why, don't, why, don't you, why don't you tell the folks at home? Well, hometowning is. is is basically when you show up into a smaller town where the local lawyer knows everyone <laughs> and, and knows the judge, and they go play golf together, exactly. And hang and out so, in the steam room at the club. You know, it's like home court advantage. Um, you get a little more home cooking. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes you can be held to a higher standard by the local judge, but there's certainly a fear. Going right. to a small town, you don't want to look like the fast, flashy L.A. lawyer. <laughs> so right. maybe you dress it down a little bit. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do to try and counterbalance. There's, but it, there's little things. There's yeah. fear. And I think that's really I, – I think we could talk about, you know, just tactics in lawyering, right, which yeah. probably are generally applicable. I think one of it's like how to handle kind of the communications with opposing counsel. Another thing is kind of knowing your audience is what you're saying there. It's because even when we go to certain venues, I mean, we're not going to come suited up, right, and dressed to the nines like we might go to a different event if we're going to some maybe a smaller county or city deal right you right. want to make sure that you're dressing or you're talking or you know you're relatable with who your client would be especially if you're going out for a pitch and i right. think some of it some of it can be you can worry too much about that because one of the things about trial work and i've had a few trials is the jury can see through bs like no one else mm-hmm. I and mean, that's all they're doing up there is judging you for how much bullshit you're trying to pass off the <laughs> lawyers the witnesses it's just they're, they're on guard the whole time because they're expecting it they watch right, tv right. shows they have impressions of what goes on they're waiting for the gotcha moment they're just mm-hmm. kind of their ears are peaked for that um people do try to get away with little things though there's you always hear these apocryphal stories of, of like the unmarried lawyer who wears the wedding ring mm-hmm. in front of the jury because they seem more trustworthy really? that's no i mean i remember working for a firm and um i noticed that when they would go visit the client right who was in governmental service, they dressed completely differently. And I, I figured this out because we went to a firm event and I said, oh, wow, this, he has a really nice you know, wardrobe. But every time I used to see them, it would be in this other context where I was like, he was always dressing down. And I thought, okay, this is, this is a strategy, right? You mm-hmm. want to make people feel comfortable. And really, you don't want your clients to think that they pay you too much. Right? Right. And that's right. really a big right. part so of it. Not, do not show up to the meeting in a nicer suit than your client. Right. That is a no-go. <laughs> so if we're talking about hometowning, uh, you know, uh, we're we're all from different places, but uh, I guess in one way or another, now LA is our hometown. Yeah. So, what what makes the practice of law and living in LA different than other places? Well, I guess I can speak to that because I've practiced and lived in a number of other places. What's different 
Um, it's not all that different than New York, given the the size and the number of lawyers. So your your chances of running up against the same. I'm gonna I'm gonna give an analogy. So I went to a smaller high school where I grew up, and then my first year of college, I went to Boulder. And there was it was so many people. It was like thirty thousand people, and you would meet people at a party you'd never see them again. And there's just this an anonymity that came along with it, which was nice in some ways, but also somewhat um, alienating because you didn't feel like it was comfortable. Um, in Los Angeles and other big cities where you've got a number of lawyers, there is some anonymity. There's also some fear that you can't trust the person that mm-hmm. you're dealing with, and they sure. probably feel the same way about you because your reputation is less important in a bigger place because there's so much happening. It's not like you are known amongst the whole community. Mm-hmm. Um, what's unique about L.A. is the industries that are here. Oh, yeah. The it's, possibilities for L.A. I mean, that is that's really what L.A. is about. I mean, coming from a smaller town, um, I noticed a difference. I mean, it's more pressure. The possibility, the, the amount of clients that are possible for you to get in L.A. is huge. Right. You have so many smaller cities and counties. Right. Um, that are in the surrounding areas. And then also just the types of practice, what we're doing in L.A., um, whether I'm working with the water district or I'm working with the city on housing projects. Right. It's. There's so many possibilities, and I mean that's really exciting. There's a documentary. I, I'm going to keep going until someone cuts me off. There's a documentary called <laughs> "L.A. Plays Itself." Oh, and it's, it's like so this, good. It's two or three hours it's of just best. a montage of all the different things L.A. has been in movies and different ways it's presented. And it's true. It's it's everything to everyone. It's water. I mean, we don't have any water, right. so we yeah. import it all. So that's a number Which of I used crazy to hate issues. That about you guys. <laughs> I remember yeah. when I moved down to L.A., I was like, God, you know, I'm going to be. I hope I'm not one of those Southern California people yeah, because right. I didn't. You know, Northern California people were not huge on the L.A. folks, but I, what I have to say that i'm a believer now oh, the beaches go. have me convinced i water my lawn every day of the year no matter what the drought level is by the way I, I have to put in another plug for la plays itself if you have not it's actually it's actually los angeles plays itself i okay. won't point that because okay. they make they actually make a point in the, in the documentary about how la is almost a bit of an epithet in some ways about the city um, sorry no no no, it's fine. no, no. but the but it, it's such a good it's such a good documentary and what's also really neat about it is that um, it, it's a documentary that has a, a long legal history. So for years and years and years, it could never be released. It could wow. never be released and could never be shown outside of a university setting or a very limited release at a, you know, a documentary festival because the film itself is made up of clips of I think something close to 300 or Astounding. nearly 400 you know commercial films so getting the clearances for all wow. those movies to release the documentary was nearly impossible and it's only been ironed out the last couple of years and I think now you can maybe get it on a Blu-ray you can stream, or you you can can stream, stream it. it you can yeah. stream it um, or at, you know one of the great things again about being in LA we get great movie theaters we get first run movies other people don't get we get right. revival houses um, I would say at least once or twice a year that documentary goes in at a movie theater it is it seems weird to say the kind of documentary you want to watch with a crowd of people from Los Angeles yeah. it's, a, it's a very unique experience if you if you can do it you should go do it yeah um, yeah but so no I mean it, it is it, it, it's a very different town I mean it, it couldn't be more different from Philadelphia um, it's it but it, it has its own charms and and you know I, I think one of the things that makes it difficult for people to understand is when you look at the out from the outside in L.A. looks like this huge sort of urban sprawl, and it's, you know, lots of these small little miniature markets and strip malls and whatever else, and there doesn't seem to be any unifying identity to it, right? right. There's no, like, landmark. No, no one comes as a tourist here and says, I'm going to go see... 
you know, Disney Hall downtown. I mean, I guess people do, but it's right. Hollywood sign. Yeah, maybe the, ho- yeah, the Hollywood maybe, maybe the Hollywood oh, yeah, sign is it, right? Right. right? But even the Hollywood sign, yeah. you know. We're going to prove you wrong, Neil. There right. are places. <laughs> there are important like, places. Oh. <laughs> no, but, but even the Hollywood sign, you're going you're gonna to stand a mile away from it and go, oh, look, there's, there it is. there's, right. a, there's mm-hmm. a, yeah. an, old, an old real estate advertisement on a hill. How neat. You're now I'm going to stand go, in the middle of the road right. and get, block up traffic right. so and you can take your dark picture. But over time, you spend it here and you... You create your. Own, everyone has their own LA. That's what makes That's it neat. Right. Right? Everyone finds the cities they like, the restaurants they like, the museums, the events. Um, I think a lot of times you know. too, LA is like defined in comparison to something else. So it's not as condensed as you know New York, and it's not as you know such and such as San Francisco. It's always at least from my perspective, mm-hmm. defined in contrast to something else. So maybe we can help to like round that out. Like what is LA, right? Right. You know, and what is practicing law in LA? Cause I'm tired of being, you know, not the walkable city and <laughs> not, you know, San Francisco and not Chicago. Like, no, we're LA and it's something else. Right. We're the city with, with good Al Pastor, right? Yeah. Like we are. We, we have our, own we idea. have all the reality shows here. <laughs> right. That's I mean, true. Come on. <laughs> I take all my friends on the tour Teams. to reality shows. Is, is that a plus? Shows. I don't know. A- absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just kidding. No, it, it is. I mean, it's, it's right. I think that there's there's this idea that there is a big reality culture here, right? And mm-hmm. that people look at, you know, th- there is this sense of a reality that people peer in at, and they and they right. and they want to learn about. Well, what is this city about, right? And so, for some reason, there is this your simultaneous dismissal of us as not a serious place, right. but a fascination with what goes on here. That's right. And so I'm hoping we can explore that. Uh, so yeah, we have a lot to talk about. I know we're going to talk about all sorts of really neat topics. We have dozens of practice groups here at the firm, and, and we're going to be bringing in guests from the inside, from the outside, all over. Uh, I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I'm excited to figure out what all you guys do. Yeah, right. <laughs> I need to learn about how your jobs work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I guess we'll do that. Uh, until next time, don't swallow the Vaseline. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, this Thank is you. To Live in Law in L.A. Goodbye. This has been To Live in Law in L.A. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of Mix and Peabody LLP and should not be construed as legal advice. This podcast is not intended to create a lawyer-client relationship, and listeners should not act upon anything expressed without seeking professional counsel. This podcast may constitute attorney advertising under various state ethics rules, and prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. 